Today's message is the last one in the series of stories from Joshua that we've been calling Getting Ready. Today's reading comes from Joshua 7 and Joshua 8. And if you want to follow along in your Bible, I'm starting with the first verse in chapter 7 of Joshua, and we'll go to verse 21 in chapter 8. So yes, I'm giving you a lot again, but this, I believe, helps us to understand more fully what's going on. So let's begin by reading from Joshua 7 at verse 1. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the, best, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people lived there. So about three thousand went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name. The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There are devoted things among you. Israel, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was chosen. 
The clans of Judah came forward and the Zerahites were chosen. He had the clan of Zerahites come forward by families and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward man by man and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had in the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us and the Lord bring trouble on you today? Then Israel stoned him and all they had stoned the rest. They burned them over Achan. They heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did in Jericho and its king. Except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on alert. I and all those with me will advance on the city. And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. For they will say, they are running away from us, just as they did before. And so when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. And the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And when you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it. You have my orders. Well, I was going to read on, but you know, I'm getting tired. <laughs> Everything that God told them to do, they did. And they whipped them. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And I don't mean to be disrespectful to the word, but sometimes I get to thinking about my plans after I'm in the middle of executing them and I change my mind. So I just decided that we were probably done with scripture for a while. <laughs> There's a book by Stephen Pyle called The Book of Failures. It's a really amazing book. And it has some amazing stories in there about colossal failures. But I have to say one of my favorites 
but it's a failure, is from back in the late 70s when the firefighters of England went on strike and the army took over the firefighting. And there was a wonderful story of an army unit that was called out to rescue an old woman's cat. And the story was enhanced by the fact that after orchestrating a really amazing rescue and returning the cat to the woman, she couldn't let them go unthanked. And so she invited this team of army men, now firefighters, into her home for a cup of tea. And they had tea with her. And then later they all left waving and goodbying her and everything and then ran over the cat. Yeah, some failures are a little more colossal than others, and this is definitely the case with Joshua and the people of Israel. We get a little comfortable sometimes with ourselves and our understanding of things, and this is a case uh, in point. You can hear that story unfold, and there are a couple of things that jump right off the page at you. First of all, Joshua consulted his men, and his men gave him a recommendation, and he followed it, and they got whipped. And if you look at what we've been studying for the last many weeks together, that's not the typical pattern. That's not how Joshua had been operating. It was not the way God wanted Joshua to operate. Suppose, for example, Joshua had gone before the Lord and said, well, my guys say we can take these people with the very minimal force, and I thought I better check in with you, Lord, like I usually do. Any thoughts? And maybe at that moment in prayer, God would say to Joshua, well, you could do that with as few people as your recommendations suggest, but there's a problem that you need to resolve first. I told you not to let anyone take any of the sacred things out of Jericho. And someone has. And you best not launch this attack until you've taken care of this bigger problem because that problem is with me. And as long as you have a problem with me, your problems with your enemies are not going to be solved in your own power. And so remembering that as they came into the promised land, they established a restored covenant with God. And the understanding of that covenant was that God would be their God and they would be God's people. And then no sooner than their second opportunity to trust God with the victory over their enemies, they don't deal with God on the issue. They just go it alone. And what happened? They were routed. And yes, they eventually lost 3,000. The way it reads, started with 36, but they weren't done getting beaten then. Now, 3,000 out of as many as 2 million, you know, they could absorb the loss, but there's 3,000 families who lost someone dear to them, someone they were anticipating living this promise with who were gone. And why? Because one person among them was disobedient and determined to do what pleased him. That's Achan. 
And the leader looked the other way. I don't know this to be true. There's no verification here. But as a leader, I can look at this story and I can think, you know, this could be one of those cases where the reason that Joshua didn't go before the Lord on this one was because he had a, he had a little bit of a hint in his mind that maybe one of his people hadn't been too loyal to God. And he was just sort of hoping it would all blow over. He might have even tested the waters with this battle just to see how serious God was about absolute radical obedience to his precepts. And there it was, all the evidence Joshua could want. And Joshua's self-confidence had taken him to a low that he hadn't previously experienced so that he's face down before the Lord saying, why did you bring us over here if it was just so that you could leave us destroyed? Oh, is God ever patient? Don't we do that too? This whole story is about us. It really is because this story changes nothing over time. It's still about some fundamental issues. We do it our way and we expect God to endorse our plan because we're confident in ourselves and in our plans. And then when they fail, we blame God. And we throw it all on God's shoulders as though it was God's fault that our plans that we took such radical self-confidence in failed. And so, like Joshua, we find ourselves pleading with God for mercy. And God's first answer is always the same. Well, why didn't you talk to me first? And if you had, I might have pointed out a couple of things you needed to do first. We use a, a kind of a leadership plan that I was taught a few years back in the staff and in some of the other leadership teams, and, and it's called a ministry action plan. And basically, it starts with a vision that we hope God gave us, and then we go to the very bottom of the page. We write the vision at the top of the page, and then we go to the bottom of the page, and we start writing the baby steps down towards the completion of the vision. And the baby steps always include prayer and observation. Look and see where God is at work. Look for God at work. Listen for the voice of God. Now, y'all might be imagining, just as I do, that Joshua literally heard the voice of God. And I would say that's probably true because he had the tabernacle there. This is the way God operated in those days with them. I personally haven't heard God in that sort of way. And yet I hear the voice of God every day. God speaks to me all the time. Uh, I think Vice President Pence got mocked pretty thoroughly this week for saying he heard the voice of God. You know, we all can hear the voice of God. We don't necessarily hear an audible voice in the same way that maybe Moses and Joshua did. But there are many ways in which God communicates to us. God may be communicating with you in a very personal way right now through me. And your validation comes not from me, but from the scripture. And in the same way, I will look for an answer a lot of times, and then a person will come to me to speak to me about something. And in that conversation, I get this clarity in my mind that that was God saying something to me I really needed to know. Sometimes it comes from my own study of Scripture. Sometimes it comes from the radio. Sometimes it comes 
from uh, reading that isn't particularly religious in nature, but there is an insight. And all of this probably sounds strange to you if you're not accustomed to it. But over the years, what I've learned is that I recognize the voice of God because I've familiarized myself with it. And how do you do that? There's this book we use that God has kept around for thousands of years so that we might know the personality of our God. And what we understand is that these stories don't just tell us do's and don'ts And it isn't just a history of God's relationship with God's people. It is all of those things. But but what happens after we study it long enough is we begin to be familiar with the personality of God. We begin to understand the character of God. And there's where the real insight starts to come. This is why if you look at your bulletin, it says loving, learning, and leading. And there's a reason that's in there. And it's to remind all of us that we have to do things in that order and not change up the order. So we start by loving God and each other. Did you notice how we did that this morning? We started by loving God and each other. We sang songs of praise to God. We cared for God in the way that we joined together with one voice to celebrate God with our love. Then we cared for one another in our prayer. And then comes the learning. And learning by its very nature suggests that you don't know everything. How many of you men used to be 20-something-year-old, know-nothing, know-it-alls? Yep. If we survive to our 30s, men get pretty smart. And yet, one of the first things we have to do after we've loved each other and loved God is submit ourselves humbly to some new knowledge to pick up something that we didn't know to hear a voice we hadn't previously heard in our context as Christians and believers in the Bible this could be most easily understood as beginning to learn the nature of our relationship with God It is like a marriage, you know, it has that sort of intimacy. Could I take this story that we just heard and translate it into a marriage relationship? Husbands, how many times can you get away with making plans without talking it over with your wife first? Wives, how many times will your plans be successfully implemented if you haven't invited your husband into the conversation? What happened with Joshua? He has this intimate relationship with God that has been clearly established. And then the first thing he does after the biggest victory they've experienced yet is he fails to talk it over with God and goes it alone. And no wonder it failed. How's that worked out in your family? You know, sometimes you surely know the answer that your partner will give. And yet you still need to check in with them, don't you? out of respect, out of love, if only because there's probably an insight that this incredible person that you've been partnered with can offer that you just might not have considered. And so you get endorsement of your plan, but you also get enhancement of your plan. And this is where Joshua failed. And the reason I can say that confidently is because when they went back the second time, having taken care of the problem that God identified, they got the victory and they got to keep the stuff. And God said to them, 
you were right. You just didn't talk to me first and you missed one critical thing. And that's what brought you down. And so when we make our plans as a staff, as a team of leaders, as a congregation, as a family, or as husbands and wives, or as individuals working with other teams, it doesn't matter what your setting is. The question is, is have you taken the vision and then gone down to the bottom of the page and started counting with baby steps the journey towards the vision? And the first steps always include Honoring God, learning, and then leading, and then doing the leadership. That's why this is here, loving, learning, and leading. To remind us that you always put it in that order if you want to succeed at God's plans for you and around you and through you. God really does want you to win. Not in the world's eyes, not in the world's way of winning, God wants you to succeed at completing whatever God has put before you. God wants you to have the joy and abundance that you get because of your commitment to God. And you receive all the benefits of that relationship. How many of you like to see your kids win? I do. Makes me happy when my kids win. But I got to tell you a little story. My son, Jonathan, one of the best football players I've ever met. Now, I'm just saying that because his dad. I'm his dad and I'm biased, but he really was good. And we watched him play football when he was in high school. I watched every game he played, and, and he played with such passion. And he, he just he leapt off the line, whether he was on offense or defense, it didn't matter. He just leapt off the line with such energy that it terrified the people on the other side. My son, by the way, is a foot and a half taller than I am and outweighs me by about 50 pounds, and that's when he was lean, mean in high school. And I remember his team won the season, but they didn't get any, they didn't go any further, you know, they, they have more wins than losses, but they, they didn't go into the championships and the various regionals and sectionals and things. And, and I was disappointed. And I would talk to him about that. I'd say, don't, you know, I must feel bad for you. You don't, you don't get to go on to these championships things. And, he, and my son taught me this. You know, dads, we like the idea that we might raise kids that are better than we were at that age. My son taught me this. He said, Dad, we won. We won more than we lost. And I never went out on that field where I didn't give it 110%. Isn't that what you want me to do? And I said, yes, son, I just want you to see the reward. And his answer was, the reward was in the way we played the game, Dad. <laughs> okay, who's the dad? Who's the kid? I don't know at this moment. But perhaps I had a little something to do with it. That's when I realized that I've always wanted to be like my son when I grow up. C.S. Lewis wrote in the Screwtape Letters, which if you've never read that, it's pretty hilarious, but you have to have a little bit of a sense of humor. You've got to like satire. I love satire. C.S. Lewis writes in the Screwtape Letters, which is basically the devil's instructions on how to defeat God and humanity, that... The best way to defeat Christians is to help them preoccupy themselves with their failures. From then on, the battle is won. 
The devil knows that if you can be absorbed and preoccupied with your failures, he's got you. The Lord, on the other hand, is focused on your victory and what's right about you. It's how you play the game that determines whether you were victory, your victory and your triumph. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for this series of messages and all that it has taught us. Thank you for the privilege of being pastor and friend of these people, that I might be their voice of your character for a moment. Now burn upon their hearts only that which comes from you, so that you'll be glorified, so that you'll be loved and served by these people. So that we'll play the game to win your victory for your name's sake. Amen. Amen.